This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. Man, I am psyched about this topic tonight. I just, well, I just think it's so interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. It is. I can't believe we haven't covered it. I'm, I was, it came right, up to me, I'm like, right. why haven't I covered that one yet? No. <laughs> it's just like a no-brainer. And I want to say it correctly, so it's disassociative identity mm. disorder, which uh, you know normies like me call multiple personality disorder. So, yeah. So I, I titled it, sent it to you. I said, we're going to talk about multiple personality disorder, and you have already, already see you know more than the average bear, that uh, it goes by a different moniker now. Yeah. Um, Why is that? Why can't we call it multiple personality disorder? You know, most people still do. Um, it, I think as, and we'll get into it as as we understand more about it scientifically, we're we're understanding the psychology behind it, and so I think the new name maybe gets us away from stereotypes more than anything, right? Uh, the, and um, negative and, associations yeah. and misunderstandings, right? And, right, mm-hmm. and so kind of moves it to what really is going on. The dissociation piece is really key, and so you know. As I typically like to do, I like to start with defining the topic. So, yeah. dissociate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I looked up the word "sociate." S o c i a t e. You don't hear that very often. You don't hear that no. very often. And when you look it up, it says archaic. That's yeah. right. Here. We don't go. use it anymore. But "sociate" uh, can be a noun or a verb. But the verb meaning, which is really what we're using in, in the term of dissociate, yeah, uh, means companion mm-hmm. or to bring together companions noun, but to bring together like social the same root there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and then associate is merging together blending mm-hmm. dissociate is moving apart from sure two things together so right so the term dissociative identity disorder is essentially used for patients who have developed more than one identity within themselves and those identity are dissociated. And some people, I, I, I frequently myself tend to try to say disassociate, the opposite of associate, but it's right. dissociate. It's dissociate. Dissociate. Okay. Yeah. But the, the identities dissociate from each other. In other words, they are separate from one another. Mm-hmm. And typically do not have um, knowledge or full memory of each other which is where some of the disbelief of people, when I, when I describe it to them, they can, you kind of get that glaze behind the eye, like, yeah. wait a minute, you're saying someone has kind of multiple identities inside and, and that person's not aware of them? And did you say it's dissociative identity disorder? Yes. And this is perfect because if someone had this and they had done something and someone said, hey, you did that thing, they would say, I did? did? Yes, it's perfect. D-I-D. It's right. perfect. <laughs> this is a very Jekyll and Hyde yeah. thing, which because, right? Jekyll didn't know Hyde was being Hyde. Exactly. Yeah, it is a very, it's, it's a great analogy. It's a very Jekyll and Hyde thing. So it is still somewhat controversial, I would say, in the medical world. There right. are many um, uh, people who doubt the full existence or, or, or the possibility that someone can have multiple identities that they're not really aw- fully aware of. Because it is a convenient excuse. If someone says, hey, you murdered those people, and for you to say, oh, uh, what? I didn't have... That I, wasn't that me. That wasn't me. That was someone else who took over, right? Yeah, right. So now there's another condition that, it, and I think I heard you on the intro to the hour mm. uh, yes. talk about, there's another mental condition that um, occasionally gets confused with this for good reason, um, schizophrenia. Right. And schizophrenia, the word schizophrenia literally means 
schizo means split, phrenia is brain or cranium, split brain. So you're like, wait, split brain, split personality, multiple personality, what's going on here? But two very different conditions. Um, some overlap because they both can report voices in their head. Right. But that's where there's overlap. There is a lot of where they don't overlap. And With schiz- schizophrenia, the person is themselves. They're just being plagued by these other things as opposed to like switching into different person personalities. Is Very that- well put, yeah. Okay. So in schizophrenia, it's, it's a disorder of thought right. and perception. And so they have... False memories... Um, well, no, that's not schizophrenia. That would be more false memory is, we'll put that on a shelf here. That's um, something separate. That may be another. Psychotic schizophrenia? No, I thought that so was. So psychotic a- is, yes, yeah, so psychotic symptoms. Psychosis is when you're having psychotic symptoms like hearing voices mm. or having delusions, which is a fixed false belief. So people with schizophrenia have psychosis. And so they have auditory hallucinations or visual hallucinations, and they'll have delusions, which is a fixed false belief. And uh, these are typically very egodystonic. In other mm-hmm. words, they, it's very unpleasing, unpleasant to the person. And it's chronic. Um, and they would love to switch out of it, but they can't. Right. So it's chronic, and, and it's uh, typically a de- deteriorative course uh, for the person. Yeah. They become less functioning. And it typically has its onset um, in the late teens, early 20s. Um, and it's felt to be partly due to when the brain finally finishes maturing, there's some final maturational process that seems to go awry, and people develop these misperceptions in thinking. Yeah. Dissociative identity disorder is very different in that it typically has its onset earlier, or at least it's the core ingredients for it typically yeah. occur earlier in life. It's felt to be predominantly due to severe trauma. Okay, so this could be, and basically, I'm thrilled that we're talking about this because my wife and I are currently watching the New West season of Bates Motel, um, and this is perfect for Norman Bates because he has this very traumatic childhood, and the the television series does a phenomenal job of kind of exploring the complexities of that, and then, of course, he becomes this kind of, I am me, or I am my mother, mm-hmm. and I'm unaware of when I black out what's happening mm-hmm. under you know, uh, my mother's right. control. Yeah. So yeah. That, is, that movie comes up frequently if you search for movies with, D, with uh, DID or yeah. multiple personality. That's one of the ones that pops out. Sure. Have um, you seen the television series? I, I think not. A&E does it. And four or five seasons now and it you know when i hear about a television series based on a film i always think oh why are they do-? this is phenomenal really well done. it's really well done that really good. Like a good one to catch. yeah yeah you'd enjoy it so while we're on tv stuff there's a interesting kind of documentary um called the woman with 15 personalities oh. it's about a 45 minute film it is an interview with someone who actually has dissociative identity disorder and their psychiatrist is kind of facilitating the interview um, it's pretty well done, and it gives you kind of a sense of, of, of how, it, how it is talking with someone who has dissociative identity disorder. Huh. Let's so. take a quick break. All right, sure. uh, when we come back, we'll dive into this and see what is happening in the brain, or possibly what's happening in the brain. So let's, let me, let's go into what dissociation is. Okay. Did you guys realize that you have dissociated from in your life? Uh, Mm. What, does that, what does that mean? What, from our past you selves? You have had a dissociative episode from your current, present um, experience. Have you been hypnotizing us? How do you know this? Yeah. What is yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been driving down the road and gone a mile or two oh. or more? Yes. And like, man, I don't remember 
driving yeah. the last like 10 miles. Who did I run over? Yeah. Have you ever yeah. had that experience? Yes, yeah. I swear I'm not sure that I – Where you I'm just blank out a little I mean, bit. Okay. I'm sure Will's I an exception. Yeah. No, I'm just Reed, you've had it. Right. Think no, that's okay, Will. I'm going to read. That's all right. I'm going to the okay. one that's okay. happening. Okay. Okay. This <laughs> happens on the interstate when you're sure. going for long, Deep, you know, just yeah. long just stretches. Like, well, I don't remember. I, right. I wasn't, wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Okay, Will, maybe you've been in a conversation and someone's been talking and carrying on it and you realize you have not paid oh, yeah. attention to what they're doing. Okay. That's my MO. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So you've gone somewhere else in your brain, right, while you're – while. Your brain was still doing something. And that is dissociating. You're dissociating okay. to some degree. Yeah. What I like to do is help people find an experience that they can relate to and then extrapolate that to something that they don't understand. So is this yeah, similar? Makes sense. So in helping people understand what dissociation is, I like to try to find something they might can relate to. Right. And then take it to a degree. Okay. Help them, have them mentally. Okay, if you extrapolate that. So we're going to get there. Right. So if you've been doing something yeah. and weren't really aware or paying attention of what you were doing but still doing it, then your brain was kind of doing two things at the same time. You went to a different place, yeah, right? So that is a, that is a minor uh, experience of dissociating from the, um, the, your present uh, experience. Yeah. So think about it this way we had actually you guys have heard a um example of someone who dissociated from a much larger degree right you had a guest on your show oh uh, yes we yes, did yes you did where yes, am i going with did. this one with uh anthony ray hinton anthony right? ray yep. hinton mm-hmm. yeah oh right right okay so anthony ray hinton to whose book is out now by the way book is out the I sun does shine me. oh good yeah so Anthony Ray Hinton, tell the viewers a little bit. He was this guy right. from that was on death row, right? For thirty, almost thirty years on death row, um, he was exonerated by all accounts. You can go back and read through the trial transcripts. I mean, he just, he did not commit this crime. He he didn't do it. There is no evidence that he did it. Um, and at one point, we asked him how did he deal with solitary and and death row for that long, mm-hmm. and he had this crazy story, which is what most listeners still bring up to me, that he was able to. All of a sudden, he became friends with the Queen of England. He married Holly Berry. They lived on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, he cheated on her with Rihanna at some point. Is that right? Yeah, pretty sure. Uh, so anyway, so yeah. it was just this separate life. And he said that like the guards would come talk to him and whatever, and he wasn't there. He was on a beach somewhere. Yeah. I mean, he, in his book, he's got a few pages talking about the title of the uh, chapter is The Queen of England. And he yeah. talks about this. And I encourage people. The book is called The Sun Does Shine, Anthony Ray Hinton. Yeah. Totally encourage you to read it. But in this chapter, he talks about essentially how he was dissociating. He didn't use the word, but that's exactly what he was doing. No. He was somewhere else, and he talks about how it was a, um, a Wednesday, and then he got awoken by the guards. He was in the middle of this, uh, I say awoken, really alerted, yeah. disturbed from his dissociative episode by the guards, by the real guards. He in his in his dissociative episode, they were the guards of guard and the queen, and yeah. she said, "Oh, excuse me." And so then he's like, "They said you got a visitor," and he goes, "What do you mean? It's not Friday, it's Wednesday. Friday's visitor day." And they're like, "Dude, what are you talking about? You've been out of it for a couple of days, man. What, you want to see your visitor or not?" He went perplexed to the uh, visitation. He talked with his mom. He said, "What do y'all? Did y'all get a special pass to get here? How did you come in on a Wednesday?" And they're like. Mm. Dude, it's Friday. He'd been out for days. He'd been out for two days. Yeah. No recall of what had transpired those two days. He wasn't laying still the whole time. He was up doing things. He The whole time, he was in two places. He was in the prison 
but he was also in England and various other places. So to an out, outward observer, you think, oh, yes, there is, you know, Anthony Ray Hinton being himself, mm-hmm. but not really. Somewhere inside, he's he's somewhere else. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and he was uh, – they were not aware – they they were aware he wasn't quite himself, yeah. but they weren't aware he was, you know, almost delusional about where he was. And so uh, that's a great example of dissociation. So take that now, um, the, the the listeners who are trying to struggle with, you know, how this thing whole thing starts. Yeah. Take this process that our brain has, the ability essentially to escape something that is inescapable. Mm-hmm. For similar things with uh, Viktor Frankl and the concentration camps, yeah. uh, prison of war, uh, World War Two. Sure. You know, you've got they use their mind to escape from the inescapable. It's a it's a wonderful defense mechanism Which to is survive. Exactly what Anthony did. That's exactly right. what he did on death row. Had yes. to get away. Same thing. Yep. So now let's take that to a child, okay, who's in the middle of of chronic perpetual trauma, frequently. Hmm. Um, this happens at the hands of someone that is their family member or very close to them. So it's repetitive trauma, typically sexual trauma. It could be physical, could right. be emotional, but most commonly it's it's sexual trauma. And so you have this brain experiencing this trauma that wants to escape the inescapable. Okay? So the brain starts going somewhere else. Okay? Just like Anthony Ray Hinton's Because you got to. You got to. Got to get this away. Is the only way I can get out of this. Right. This is I'm in they're in prison, essentially. Okay, with with this horrible event going on, it's going to happen again. It's not a one-time thing. Right. It typically happens over and over again. They're imprisoned to this. They're going to find a way to escape. So they find a place to go. Well, in a a child's brain is not developed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anthony Ray Hinton's brain was developed, and it still happened. happened to him. It still happened. Right. But in a child's brain, it becomes part of the development of the brain. Yeah. So now that same brain continues to do that even when the trauma is not occurring. So because it's attached to maybe an emotion. So can it like surface later in life, I guess? So great question. So it can surface at any time. It typically starts in childhood, but they transition so seamlessly from one, they call them alters, right? one place to another, they develop kind of this whole personality. So they tend to develop a person who is the tough person, like the protector yeah. of the child who's getting abused emotionally. They, they, they have a, um, uh, a child alter who is the one that was actually injured and, and feels the pain. Mm. So you have these other alters who come in and protect the child. Okay, um, there, there can be a lot of different um, alters. Some of them can be um, a, a different sex. They can have a male alter who never got abused. So they, you know, you know if it was a female that got abused sexually, yeah. then it's a male alter because he, he didn't get abused by the... By the couldn't sex, happen. Sexually, couldn't happen. Different gender. Different. Yeah. So all these different identities can come up, and they are typically associated with emotions or interactions. So they can be triggered to switch to one of the other alters based on an interaction mm. with a person, uh, not necessarily the... the the person who's perpetuating anyone who trauma. triggers that same but, kind of emotion, yeah, or in, yeah, or or just an emotion. When you think about a child's capacity, um, the even just the average child living an average existence, the capacity to create, for example, imaginary friends. Yes, yeah, exactly. It, it's yes. easy to see how that could that could wind up being like this, but internally, 
Perfect. Yeah. Exactly. So they come up with their imaginary friends. They come up with names for their friends. So yeah. they come up with names for their altar. It's not really that far-fetched. Think about Halloween. When you're a kid, how much you want to be able to like step into this other existence and, and totally. live that. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It, it really actually, once you think about it, it kind of makes sense. It's like, hmm, how could you get through that? Yeah, that's not just a kid thing either. I mean, yeah. adults, that's why costume contests are so, yeah. you know, oh, people we all enjoy that. taking on a different persona. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, man, this is too interesting. All right, mm. well, let's take a quick break. Okay. Uh, refresh for a minute, and then we'll come back and continue this talk with Dr. Mark Westfall talking about dissociative identity disorder. Well, I had a um, listener uh, chime in and ask about um, some of the literature out there about dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. The Three Faces of Eve was a book converted to a movie. Hmm. Um, and Sybil was a movie as well. I don't know if Sybil was a book or not. I don't but know. they're both based on actual patients yeah. um, with, uh, consul- con- I believe, consultation from the treating psychiatrist. Um, so those are you know some uh, movies to go back and see. Sybil was remade, I think. So there's a, a 1960s version with Sally Field and Joanne Woodward, and then there's a, like a 2007 version, apparently. And apparently the, the the '60s version was the one to see. So, yeah. um, uh, so I have a, that out there. Yeah, I have another listener uh, who has written in and said, "Hey, weren't there uh, an extra large number of diagnoses diagnoses of DID during the Satanic Panic during the '80s and '90s? Is there any correlation? Like when people in society, uh, let's see. So, have you ever noticed a correlation between people claiming?" To have DID after recovering memories of ritual satanic abuse via a hypnotist. Hmm. Have you heard of this? So, well, um, I can't say that I'm an expert in that particular um, process of what was going on in the '80s with the satanic stuff. But there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of patients who report ritualized abuse, um, and so you know the hy- hypnosis is something that. Um, is a little therapeutically, I don't say risky, maybe because um, is it real? I'm under the impression it's not. Well, hypnosis is getting people to a very relaxed state, and and some people are more suggestible under hypnosis than others. Um, so I don't know that I would want to hypnotize uh, someone with DID to help get to their to their symptoms. I would more. Uh, suggest that they go through a therapy that allows those symptoms uh, to be addressed as they come up on their own. Mm. I'm, I'm a proponent of, of you know, you don't dig around uh, if the person is not showing symptoms. Um, um, so just like the surgeon doesn't go in unless you have enough, you, know, you need to have enough symptoms to go in and right. take something out. So yeah. um, typically the type of therapy that is uh, utilized is classic, you know, psychotherapy, but um, one kind of intense type of therapy is EMDR, eye movement desensitization restructuring. Hmm. That's pretty intense and can be overwhelming for patients with DID, but also can be uh, therapeutic. Um, How does that work? What is that? So what we a couple years ago, we had um, Lauren Dan in. He's a psychologist in town. He talked a little bit about it, but it's, yeah. it's, it, it uses an eye movement process, right. which is yeah. a little bit hypnotic, but it's right. more of a relaxation kind of process and it allows people to get access to some of their memories and um, Mm. what we do know with treating trauma is that typically for a patient to diminish some of the um, terrible anxiety they have about remembering remembering the trauma 
is re-exposure to the memories in, in a therapeutic setting that allows them to um, approach the trauma memory with their adult brain and realize that they are now in control. Um, whereas when they were a child, it was like being in prison. Yeah. So you essentially help take them out of the prison that they, their brain has put themselves in because when it walls off that experience, it also walls off their ability to, um, to process it and uh, develop an adult perspective on it. And so when it stays walled off, it stays immature. And yeah. so you want the, the altar to, you know, to, to essentially to um, come out so you can help access what occurred because a lot of times the memory of what occurred is only in certain altered states. Or the altars have the, some altars have the memory only. And so ultimately the ideal therapy is to reintegrate yeah. the host, which is typically the person as they typically present to others is called the host. And then you want to integrate the host with the altars, which is essentially bringing, breaking down the barriers between the different memories, the different walls. Associating it person. all back together. Reassociating. Reassociating. Exactly right. So I can remember um, in training, you know, when I was, uh, this was 30 years ago, the first patient I'd ever seen um, that had symptoms of what was then called multiple personality disorder. And one of the attendings was interviewing, and I expected, you know, to come in and have, you know, you think multiple personality, they're going to come in, it's going to be noticeable, right? Two different mm. people are going to walk in. Oh, that person's, you know, Millie, and that person is Earl. Okay, clear, two mm-hmm. personalities. So it can be amazingly subtle. It's not something that is typically very outward. It's not something they're doing. I'll be able to say, well, there's, you know, doing it for attention. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And it, typically it's something that's secretive. Um, often they're not aware of it, but even once they are aware of it, they're secretive about it. And so it's a very subtle change. And I can remember being in an interview, the attending was interviewing one of our patients. We were first year residents, just green is green. And we had patients at a county hospital, inpatient, and one of them, the attending came over to interview in front of us so we could learn, right? So he's talking to her and just having a conversation and and suddenly he says, what's your name? Well, she'd already given his name at the start. Well, she gave him the name of a child and he said, how old are you? She said, like, five, and I'm like, what? how did he know that? What just? How did he know that? And well, that's what I asked him after. So yeah. he continued with the interview. We got through, and I said, how did you know that? What? How did you know to ask that question right then? And he said he had done a lot of work with dissociative disorders, and he said there was just a subtle change in her countenance, and her voice elevated a couple of octaves. Hmm. Her answer was just kind of a high-pitched yes. Oh. Because uh, she wasn't really talking a lot, and he said she said kind of a yes, and it, it was just kind of a little off pitch, higher pitch, and he went with it, and sure enough, she was talking in with a child's voice. So it may not be like an actual like change in appearance for the person and their mannerisms like that, but is it like a light switch? Does it happen in an instant? Great, great wordage. Yes, it is like a light switch. It can happen in an instant, and it will go away in an instant, depending mm. on. Based on those emotional triggers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yep, it can be an emotional trigger. It can come on, and then it can go away just as quickly as it came on. It, sometimes it can take over for days. Sometimes just for a few minutes. One of the classic symptoms that they present that a person presents with that if they're not aware of it is um, 
memory gaps. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, I, I, man, my, my, I just can't remember things. And this, once again, is well portrayed in Bates Motel because that's what, not in the mm-hmm. film, obviously, but in, but in the, the series. series, because they go into in depth about Norman having these blackouts where he's unaware of, like, wait, what has happened? And starts to realize, like, yeah. oh, no, that means I he's wasn't been, in control. Right, exactly. And no. that's, that's how it works. And so the blackouts, we use that term in another condition. Yeah. Um, with substances, right? Mm-hmm. You can, yeah. Okay. So there's another example of how the brain can be doing something and you have zero memory of it. All right. We're up against our last break. Okay. Let's take it and we'll come right. back and we will finish this discussion. You know, I always like to finish these with what can people do? What if you have, what if you think maybe you have this? Of course, it's hard to recognize if you are the person having it. What if you think a family member or a friend has this? Where, where, do, where do people start? Well, um, reaching out to a therapist who actually specializes in uh, trauma and dissociative disorders. Yeah. Um, it is a specialized area. Um, and so you would want to reach out to someone who's got training in that. And you can search online for that. And, and most therapists put kind of what their interests are. Um, so, um, yeah, it, a lot of people, if, you know, if there's essentially a combination of significant periods of lost time or blackouts where they just don't remember what's occurred, um, certainly if the person you know has a recall of trauma in their in their childhood, um, or if you feel like someone comes in and takes over for periods, um, those are clear signs that something may be going on. Whether it's full DID or it's just uh, you know you can have a lot of different uh, gradients of things that don't fit DID but still are trauma based dissociative-based. I mean, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. has dissociative-type symptoms to it. Um, so, it, you know, anybody who's been through severe trauma can dissociate. As we've described, anybody who hasn't been can dissociate, but the dissociative episodes are much more profound for people who've been through trauma. There so. are plenty of psychological and psychiatric disorders where there's very little, I guess, suppose, that can be done or it can be very difficult. Is this the kind of area where positive work and progress can be made great question um yes it is a long road mm-hmm. um it is a very long difficult road um but certainly progress can be made and and um uh, behaviors and symptoms can be more stabilized whether they you know whether a person completely ever integrates completely may not happen mm-hmm. um but being able to be more in control of when the authors are being aware of when they come out, then you can you, you develop a sense of more control over this system. Um, and, and that's why this is really a problem, I guess, is because it's not something that someone does consciously. Right. They're not in control of their own life right. at that point. Exactly. Mm. So it comes up, you know, when they have an unwanted emotion, they have an unwanted uh, switch. Yeah. Light, someone keeps turning the light switches on them, and they don't want them to change. So the, the therapy process can help them gain more control over the switches so, um, and awareness of what emotions trigger them or what situations trigger them. So it gives them a little more sense of control over this whole experience. And so they can gain more control. But because it, hap- it develops in childhood, sometimes it's so hardwired it doesn't go away right. completely. Right. But gaining more mastery over it, you know, can, it can be managed. We had Dr. Peter Hendricks on the show from UAB, and he's specializing on the studies he's doing in psychedelics and how they're being used in treatment. Um, of mm-hmm. course, we had someone who's much more of a professional of that, Wayne Carter, on recently. Uh, who had, Wayne recently got out of prison, and he had lots of really mm-hmm. interesting thoughts on it, but they yeah. went pretty much right along in line with what Dr. Hendricks had told mm-hmm. us. What do you know about this and how they're using psychedelics, especially 
PTSD. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's um, very different than what we're talking about here. Um, and that's the use of psychedelics. There's no is connection more, at all. Well, the use of psychedelics is more to give them a, essentially to help them kind of dissociate uh, and give them a feeling of awe mm. uh, and re-experience their trauma with um, a different emotional um, mm. uh, outcome. And huh. so it's typically used for PTSD specifically right. um, in, in the studies. It's not used clinically for anything right now, but they're studying it for use in PTSD and uh, very regulated use, not just, you know, sure. I, I really caution even discussing that because the last thing yeah. I want is someone to think, oh, I should go do some LSD because it's therapeutic. No, not, not the deal. And with someone who has dissociative disorder, it would be a nightmare because now they're going to start associating even less uh, in their control. So, but someone with PTSD, what they do is they bring them into the clinic and they give them a very small dose to help essentially trigger some of the centers in their brain that give them a different reaction to the trauma. Um, so you're, microdosing. Yeah, yeah, really it's a very different experience. So do not take no. that info and go out and, and uh, start using it. There is sure, a... Sure uh, told me that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> There's a wonderful episode of Invisibilia, and that's kind of redundant to say, but I think from season three, and I think maybe you and I have talked about this, but where a woman basically wakes herself up from a dream and a voice that she does not recognize, where she's spoken out loud, and... and through this, you know, that experience and then moving forward, she realizes that she has basically developed this alter ego that lives in her dreams. And through that process in her dream, she relives this trauma that she had had as a child. But this time there's no like physical impact. She's able to relive it, experience mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. but doesn't have <clears throat> the same, quite the same negative outcome. Right. Does that relate to this discussion we're having? Like, I guess? It sounds like whoever wrote that had some right. experience or knowledge or, or used some uh, someone who did have some knowledge of this. Oh, and this was her personal account of the thing that had happened to her. You so can, this is a real... Oh, yeah, it's a document. Invisibilia, oh, okay, so a wonderful okay. podcast. And so this is her talking about that. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh-huh. you know, it, that would be interesting to delve into more and see what's going on in her life that created that. Or, yeah. But yeah, that's a dissociative type But of only experience. in her dream life. So that was a little bit more of a manageable thing. It wasn't right. something that interfered with her daily. Right. 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 Which is, you know, I mean, dreams are another way we dissociate, right? Right. I mean, that's another example of how a common person can experience... Uh, you know, being somebody different or doing something different. Um, so you kind of bring that to the wakeful state and, you know, right there you are. Again, mm-hmm. it's terrifying. It's crazy. It's amazing what the brain can do. That, and that's what I want people to go home with is recognize that this is, this is very real stuff. And, and the disbelief, you know, I had a friend of mine say one time, I mean, he was another physician. Um, and he said, do you believe in multiple personality disorder? This is, you know, probably 15, 20 years ago. I said, it's an interesting question because yeah. I'm, I'm a very scientific person. I'm, I'm kind of like to you know see things. And I'm like you know, it's not a matter of it's believing because it's it's a set of symptoms that a patient displays. Maybe do you understand it? And would be we've a given question. it a name, yeah. so there's nothing to believe or not believe. Now you can question how does this evolve? There's a lot of people thought the patients are just faking. Right. I know? was going to say maybe that's what he was saying. And right. so the, you know, the question is, okay, even if you go with that, how, or how would all these people have these very similar symptoms and they, they come in and it, it would be like some kind of global, um, you know, ruse on all of us. It's like, because they present very similarly and they all have this trauma. So once you really see it, the symptoms in front of you, it's 
very clear that it's not being faked. It's, this is a person very distressed uh, that's going through uh, you know a very difficult emotional state. Um, so um, you know anyway, to me, I'm a I watch behaviors, mm-hmm. and um, to watch this type of behavior in front of you is is fascinating. It's also um, very um, very sad to recognize what one human's actions can do to another person's brain. And I think if we were to ask ourselves, would any of us, would we or even could we do that? I, there's, I can't imagine an existence in which I would say, oh, right now I'm going to start pretending to be someone right, else. Right. So the idea that people are just doing this to avoid responsibility or faking it, yeah, I couldn't well, do that. Well, here's the other think. thing is they typically hide it. Yeah. It's not like they come in and present. Right. It typically occurs for years. Yeah. It's very secretive. So again, what's the what's the gain? It usually is something they don't want people to know, not something they want people to know. Yeah. Great stuff as always, Dr. Mark Westfall. Again, go back. You can hear this. Um, it's usually published a few, couple of days after we do this under the podcast, Let's Think On It. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio. 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter, at Lockamy Brothers. 